0: Morning, New Hope. For those of you who are new here, I'm not Mark Kring, although I do hope to be like him when I grow up. I'm Gary Post, I'm the associate pastor here. Uh, Mark conducted his uh, dad's funeral services yesterday over in uh, Whitehall, and, I, and a number of us were there. And uh, <clears throat> so I encouraged him this week to let me do the weekend services. and uh, so that he could focus on what he needed to do with his dad's arrangements uh, over the weekend, and uh, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, that he mentioned uh, during the service yesterday, as he spoke, was uh, that his his dad had requested uh, something unusual to be mentioned in the in this in the funeral service. His his dad told him, uh, Mark, I, what I want you to do is express to my uh, grandkids and my kids that, uh, that I, I, I want to have a, a mulligan. Some of you know what a mulligan is in golf. It's a, it's a do-over. He, he, he said, many of you know that Mark's been open about this as well, that uh, his, his dad at one point in his life was an alcoholic and was not the parent or the father that he had hoped to be. And uh, didn't realize that until it, it was uh, too late. And so he, one of the things he said yesterday was, Don't wait. Uh, until it's too too late to make those kinds of decisions. Now, God redeems and restores, and it ended well. And, and uh, Mark's dad is a child of God, and he, he's with God today. But um, like God redeems all of us, it's all a work of grace, isn't it? Uh, but his point was that uh, sometimes you make decisions that uh, that you can't take back, and there are consequences that are inevitable from those decisions. And, and so uh, it was his way of saying, uh, I, w- I wish I could do it better. Um, we're going to talk about prayer today. Prayer is one of the most powerful ways of making sure that at the end of your life, you won't have to ask for a mulligan. Uh, because prayer is the way that, that God downloads to him to us uh, what is His agenda for us. And He, he tells us what He desires in, in our life. And so we're going to be talking about prayer today and how to pray with power. It's something that is, uh, is at once probably the most neglected of the spiritual disciplines and at the same time the most powerful of the spiritual disciplines. And, uh, and I'll warn you up front, I didn't mention it at the other two services, but I'll warn you up front that uh, if you decide to become a person of prayer, some of you are already, and I, I look up to you in that area, but uh, if you decide to become a, a person of prayer, that Satan will come against you. And And he will attack you. Satan fears nothing more than people of prayer. when uh, When I was a policeman, uh, I never wanted to be in a situation where I was outgunned. and uh, and and satan, when when you begin to pray, Satan knows he's outgunned because you're calling down the power of God on him. So uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today, uh, a practical approach to prayer. And I'd like to begin by asking, that the Holy Spirit would would uh, would minister to that uh, to us this morning as we as we spend time in God's Word, dear Father, uh, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for um, uh, what what you are about to teach us in the area of prayer. We pray that you would uh, your Holy Spirit would uh, act in power here. That you'd open our hearts, remove any obstacles. Uh, that may be present in terms of our thinking or anything that Satan wants to do here to distract us. And we pray that you'd allow us to focus on what you have to say to us in the area of prayer. We ask you, as your disciples did, Lord, teach us to pray. I pray that you'd work through the, uh, you you said that your grace is sufficient, that uh, your strength is perfected in weakness. And I pray that you'd work through the weakness of me as your messenger and and, uh, the weakness of this message to minister your power here today. And I ask it in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I'd like to begin with a a story about how God works in our lives. And it's a story uh, from a a pastor named Ken Gobb that I ran across. And he he wrote a book called God's Got Your Number. And uh, this story is in his own words. Again, about how God works in our lives and uses prayer to do that. He says, a few years ago, I learned the reality of the fact that our God not only loves us, but knows where we are and what we're doing every minute of the day. At the time, I was driving on I-75 near Dayton, Ohio with my wife and children. We turned off the highway for a stop at a restaurant. My wife, Barbara, and the children went into the restaurant, but I suddenly felt the need to stretch my legs. So I told them to go ahead and that I would join them in a few minutes. As I walked toward a nearby service station, I heard the repeated ringing of a payphone. There was no one else in the, in the area, and after some hesitation, thinking it might be an emergency, I answered it. I said, hello, and I, and I was shocked and speechless when the operator said, long-distance call for Ken Gobb. As I stammered something and tried to wrap my, my mind around the impossibility of what was happening, the, opera- the operator asked again, is Ken Gobb there? I have a long distance call for Ken Gobb. It took a moment to gain control of my babbling, but finally I replied, yes, he's here. Uh, per- perplexed and shaken, I asked, how in the world did you reach me here? Well, the operator said, is, is Ken Gobb here or-, or not? Finally I said, yes, I'm, I'm Ken Gobb and finally convinced by the tone in her, her voice that the call was real. Then I heard another voice say, yes, that's him, operator, that's Ken Gobb. I, I listened dumbfounded to a strange voice identify herself. She said, I'm, I'm Millie from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You don't know me, Mr. Gobb, but I'm desperate. Please help me. I, I said, what can I do for you? She began weeping. Finally, she regained control and and continued. I I was about to to commit suicide. I just finished writing a note when I began to pray and tell God I, I really didn't want to do this. Then suddenly I remembered seeing you on television and I thought, if I could just talk to you, you could help me. I knew that was impossible. And by the way, this is before Google and cell phones. I knew that that was impossible because I didn't know how to reach you. I didn't know anyone who could help me find you. And then as I prayed, some numbers came to my mind and I scribbled them down. At this point, she began weeping again and I prayed silently for wisdom to help her. She continued, I I looked at the numbers and thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if I had a miracle from God and he's given me Ken's phone number. I decided to try calling it. I can't believe I'm talking to you. Are you in your office in California? I replied, Millie, I don't have an office in California. My office is in Yakima, Washington. A little surprised, she asked, oh, oh really, where are you then? He said, you don't know? You made the call, she explained, but I don't even know what area I'm calling. I just dialed the number I had on this paper. Millie, you won't believe this, but I'm in a phone booth in Dayton, Ohio. Really, she exclaimed, well, what are you doing there? I kidded her gently Well, I'm answering the phone. It was ringing as I walked by, so I I answered it. Knowing this encounter could only have been arranged by God, I began to counsel the woman. As she told me of her despair and frustration, the presence of the Holy Spirit flooded the phone booth, giving me words of wisdom beyond my ability. In a matter of moments, she prayed a prayer to receive the Savior who would lead her out of her situation to new life. I walked away from that telephone booth with an electrifying sense of the Heavenly Father's concern for each of his children. What were the astronomical odds of this happening? Only an all-knowing God could have caused that woman to call that number in that phone booth at that moment in time. I couldn't contain my excitement as I rejoined my family and told my wife, Barb, you won't believe this. God knows right where I am. What words would you use to describe that story? This is the audience participation portion. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I'm sorry, what else? Supernatural. Supernatural. A miracle. Phenomenal. Yeah, amazing, unbelievable, incredible. All those things. Let me draw your attention to the fact that don't all those words... Describe our God? Yeah, exactly. All those words are are descriptions of our God. But you know, sometimes we put our God in a box uh, of our own experience. And and we uh, tend to think of God in human terms with human capabilities and, and limitations. We intellectually assent to the fact that, yes, God can do anything. Just like the angel Gabriel told the Virgin Mary, uh, let, me, let me tell you something. He leaned down and he said, nothing is impossible with God. Yeah. And, and we intellectually assent to that, but sometimes as a practical matter, we don't live like that from day to day, you see. That misconception, that misperception of God uh, tends to limit what we think God can do, and it hamstrings our faith and undermines our effectiveness in prayer. A.W. Tozer At it right, he said, that great theologian and pastor, he said, a low view of God, in other words, a low view of who God is and what he can do. A low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. A high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. When we make our own experience the yardstick for, for who God is and what he can do, it leaves no room for God to grow our faith. You see? Uh, Because the the outside parameters of that box are are our own experience. And that's why our culture finds finds it so difficult to engage with God. They're they're trying to engage with him through the grid of what they know. And, And it's not big enough. Their comprehension isn't big enough. Understanding who God is and what he can do, not on the basis of our experience, but on the basis of what Scripture says about God, that is absolute truth, uh, understanding God on that basis strengthens our faith and empowers our prayers. Let's look at uh, Millie's story in, in terms of who God is and what he can do. We find out in Psalm 34, 18, for example, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit, Psalms 34:18. You see, when Millie cried out to God, he responded in mercy to rescue her. That's who he is. God is a rescuer, uh, first and, and foremost. Same with the thief on the cross, remember that story? This uh, bad guy's hanging next to Jesus on a, the, the, the cross next to him, and he said, he said in a moment, <clears throat> he said, Lord, remember me when you come into the, your kingdom. Jesus said, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, well, you know, there's a background uh, investigation we have to do, and, yeah you have to attend a discovery class and you know no he said today today that that, that was this man's statement of faith lord remember me when you came into when you come into the kingdom that that's all jesus needed he looked into his heart and said you're one of mine he's a rescuer and and then um, we should understand his heart for people the, the lord's not slow in keeping his promises some understand slowness second peter 3 9 Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, uh, we all, many of us have memorized John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should, should not perish, but should have eternal life, right? God loves the world, and he'll go to any length to save people from hell and bring them into relationship with him. Thirdly, we need to understand that the, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Uh, Ken Gob thought he got off I-75 to go to a restaurant, but God was directing his steps. God orchestrates the smallest details of our lives in order to, to bring us into, in order to make our lives intersect with the lives of those that He needs us to minister to as he did with Ken Gobb and and with Millie. He's an orchestrator. And finally, uh, we need to understand that God is infinitely capable. He says in Isaiah 55, nine, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, sometimes we approach God like, uh, why all this mystery, God? If you would just explain yourself to us, we could understand. And uh, what, he says to, uh, what he says to us is, no, you, you really couldn't. N- not only are my thoughts uh, higher than yours, that is, you don't have the horsepower to understand me, uh, but my ways are above your ways. That is, the methods I use to operate, you can't even comprehend because they're beyond the natural. They're beyond what you can do as a human being or even understand as a human being. And um, that's where we need to understand that, that he's God and, and we're not. And, and, and uh, his ways are, are, are far above ours. We're not capable of understanding how he can orchestrate the intersection of two lives like he did with Ken Gobb and, and Millie. Well, how does God use and, and respond to prayer in our lives? And what we want to do is look at an example of that in Acts 12. If you'd break out your Bibles, it'll be on the screen as well. Um, I want to read the story of Peter's jailbreak in Acts 12 verses 1 through 17. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. I know that you have two, right now you have two translations in your pew, the uh, New American Standard Bible and the uh, ESV or the English Standard Version. I'm going to use the The latter, and that's what's going to be on the screen as well. About that time, verse 1, chapter 12 of Acts. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he'd seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. These guys were serious about security, weren't they? And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And then the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. You know, I always uh, got a kick out of this because when Peter arrived at uh, Mary's house, you can picture people looking at him and saying, who dressed you anyway? An angel did, actually. He did not know what was being done by the angel was for real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. Verse 10. When they had passed the, the first and second guard, they came out into the iron gate. they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, "Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent His angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting." When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. All these great men of faith, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so And they kept saying, Is this his angel? But Peter continued knocking, and when they'd opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. And he departed and went to another place. Well, notice that uh, when Peter was arrested and thrown in jail, right after James was killed, the church didn't say, well, it must be the will of God. We'll just have to accept it. Right? No. They called a prayer meeting. They went on the attack. And they recognized uh, when that happened that um, Satan was involved. And that, uh, and that Satan was active in trying to destroy Peter and, destroying the, and trying to destroy the church. Sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second here. Um, notice also that uh, in verse in verse five that um, that the church was making earnest prayer for Peter. We we know that there was some faith there because they were making earnest prayer for Peter in his situation for God to rescue him. Um, but notice also that uh, that God's response uh, transcends natural law, and and defies human experience. In, in what ways is that true here? What, what things do you see here that are beyond human experience in, in this incident? There are six or seven things. Fell off. Yeah, the chains fell off, exactly. The gate, on its own. The, the gate opened up on its own. Obviously, it was locked and padlocked and chained, perhaps. What else do you see? God woke him up. Yeah, God, God woke him up. In fact, an angel appeared and woke him up. Hit him on the side, apparently, and, and woke him up, right? What else? The guards never woke up, exactly. Yeah, the, the, the guards were apparently oblivious. We don't know whether God caused them to fall into a deep sleep or whether they were just oblivious to, to uh, Peter and the angel walking by. Uh, but you have to keep in mind these, these guards were Roman soldiers, and in that day, um, if they lost a prisoner, what happened to the prisoner, I mean, what, what the, the uh, sentence that the prisoner was entitled to was what they would get. And, and so they had every incentive to keep track of that prisoner and every incentive to, to stay awake and, and be alert. The other thing that uh, that nobody picked up on in any of the services was the light that came on in the cell. There was a light that came from someplace in the cell that lit up that cell. And keep in mind, this was before Thomas Edison. It wasn't as if the angel came in and flipped on a switch. There, there was light in that cell that nobody could a- account for. So we'd have to say that uh, all those things transcend natural law. They transcend what we normally see in, in human experience. And notice also in this incident that, uh, that God's response here requires an, an element of faith, but did it require overwhelming faith? <clears throat> did it require overwhelming faith? Is there gigantic faith that's demonstrated by these folks? No. No. They were obedient, very good. They were obedient in prayer. And Jesus said, what you need to get things done in prayer is what, a mustard seed, right? You need, a, you need an element of faith. That has to be there. But how do we know that they didn't have overwhelming faith, that it wasn't giant faith? They, they didn't believe it. They were so surprised. And Peter himself was surprised, right? Um, but the people, in fact, said to Rhoda, you're out of your mind. In other words, we don't believe you. We need to see it for ourselves. Now, what do you think happened to their faith after God rescued Peter in this way? Yeah, it grew like crazy. That, that uh, story went through the church like wildfire. You, you can bet on it. And doesn't God work the same way in our lives? When, when we see an answer to prayer, he builds our faith, doesn't he? It grows our faith. I can remember the first time that I, I prayed for someone uh, for their healing, and I always explain, you know, you, you, uh, you need to believe that God can heal you. God heals sometimes right away, sometimes over time through the efforts of physicians, and sometimes uh, he doesn't heal until eternity. And, and we, a group of us prayed for a, a person, and, and um, they were made well. And, and, I, and I, I was surprised. I'm, I'm ashamed to tell you that I was surprised the first time. I'm not surprised anymore because it happens. it happens more and more frequently all the time. And I'm not surprised at God's answers to prayer. That's not just me. That's you as well when you pray. God answers, and it strengthens our faith. That's the way he works in our lives. Well, uh, what is God's purpose for prayer? What's he trying to accomplish with prayer? I like Jennifer Kennedy Dean's book, Live a Praying Life. It's one of my favorites. She says this about the purpose of prayer. Purpose of prayer is to release the power of God, to accomplish the purposes of God. The purpose of prayer is to discover God's will, not obligate him to do mine. To reflect God's mind, not to change it. You see, God doesn't intend prayer for us to be kind of a cosmic concierge service where we go through the Sears catalog and list to him our desires and he he meets those it's more to reshape our desires so that our prayers release His power for His purposes. In fact, that's what Jennifer Kennedy Dean goes on to say. One of my favorite quotes about prayer is this, Your prayers will never do anything except release God's power for God's purposes. On the other hand, your prayers will always release God's power for God's purposes. You see, when we pray, prayer releases power in the spiritual realm that affects uh, circumstances, and events, and people's thinking, and their decision-making, and uh, conflict, and relationships, and circumstances, and sometimes the course of history in response to prayer. Spirit, we call out God's spiritual power, and, and it comes down and changes those things in the natural world, not just in church, but in families, in schools, in the workplace, in government, and everywhere else. The principle is that God moves in response to the prayers of his people. For reasons that we don't completely understand, God waits to act in some cases until we pray. He won't do certain things in our life. He waits for us to pray, and then he acts in response to our prayer. John Wesley, the circuit-riding pastor from a century or so ago, uh, said the same thing. God does nothing on the earth save in answer, believing prayer god does nothing on the earth save an answer to believing prayer if that's not true then why would jesus tell us in luke 18 uh, always to pray and not give up always to pray and not give up why did jesus himself get up early in the morning on almost every day and go to his father in prayer why did he stay up all night many times praying this is the son of god obviously He had a direct connection to god why did he need to pray so much and if he did then How can we not need to pray? God uses prayer to prepare and position us for divine appointments. Uh, In uh, the words of Mark Batterson in the book Draw the Circle, he says this, God is orchestrating events in our lives all the time to connect us with those who need him. He says, like a grandmaster who strategically positions chess pieces on a chessboard, God is always preparing us and positioning us for divine appointments, and prayer is the way we discern the next move. The plans of God are only revealed in the presence of God. We don't get our marching orders until we get on our knees, but if we hit our knees, God will take us places we never imagined, going by paths we didn't even know existed. You see, Proverbs 16, 9 tells us, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. God is constantly orchestrating the events of our lives to put us where he needs us to be. Well, prayer raises our sensitivity to God's work around us and and to the Holy Spirit's leading. It's where we find out what's on God's agenda for us, and, you know, we, we learn that there aren't any coincidences in the life of the child of God. Nothing happens by accident in our network of relationships. God's placed us in this orbit of relationships, this network of relationships, in, in order to use us in the lives of other people. And the Holy Spirit will not only alert you to that appointment, but he will prepare you with whatever you need for that appointment in order to carry out God's purpose in that situation. You know, I like snow uh, snowblowing. And I, I don't know about uh, you guys, but I enjoy running a snowblower. I think it's fun. And uh, my driveway is a little small, so I, I don't get much snow to snow blow. So whenever I finish... My wife knows that uh, if she goes to look for me, I'm probably snow blowing the neighbor's driveway. We have a single mom who lives next door and she has a couple of college age daughters. So the other day when, uh, when we ran out of snow at my place, I, I went next door. Actually, I saw one of the, the girls out there in the, in the driveway shoveling snow. And uh, I went over and said, Alexis, you know, you, you're shovel, shoveling a lot of snow for somebody that owns a snow blower. And she said, uh, well, I, you know she really didn't know how to run it and so on. So I helped her out a little bit, and then I asked her about her college plans. And, and we got into a, a wonderful conversation. I, I sensed at that point in the conversation that it was no longer in my control and that God had taken it, taken it on a left turn, and we were having a spiritual conversation. And uh, she talked to me about what was going on in her life, and I had an opportunity to encourage her and, and speak the truth of God's word into her life and encourage her in her walk with him. And I, as it happened, here's one of those divine coincidences, you know, as it happened, I just happened to have one of these little devotionals in my car, uh, the Jesus Calling devotional that a lot of you use and, uh, and value. And I said, I, I think this will be a real encouragement to you. Why don't you take this? Well, she was so very grateful that she and her mom came over later with a, with a Starbucks card for me. I, I thought that was really nice. But it, it's an, an example of how God, at, at one point the Holy Spirit said to me, Gary, this isn't about blowing snow. This is about speaking truth into somebody else's life and encouraging them. That's why I brought you here to this place. And that happens to you as well. I know in in many cases in your workplace or in your neighborhood. Well, God uses prayer as a weapon in the battle for the hearts and minds of those around us. You know, we're engaged as believers in a spiritual battle for the eternal destiny of those people that God has surrounded us with. And Paul describes the nature of the battle. He says in Ephesians 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Folks, here's an aside. This is not a video game. This is a very real battle. Just because you can't see the spiritual battle that's taking place around us all the time doesn't mean it, it doesn't exist in our in our culture uh, uh, many people don't recognize that but the spiritual warfare that's taking place is very very real and you and I are soldiers in that battle I just uh, I just recently talked with a young man and this is not the first talked with a young man who had opened himself up to demonic oppression because he was fooling around with uh, what he called uh, white, um, white magic. And I, I said, you know, there, there is nothing. There is no white magic. It, it's all the, he said, I know that now. Uh, but he had been fooling around for a number of years with uh, some things that had, had resulted in uh, him being oppressed, a, a, a There demonic oppression that was present in his life, in, in the place he lived, and, uh, and, and elsewhere for, for a long time. He'd opened himself up to that, because he was fooling around with things he shouldn't have been fooling around with. And it begins sometimes with, right on the fringe, with uh, Ouija boards and uh, um, spiritism and channeling and uh, those kinds of, and horoscopes, and those kinds of things that seem on the face innocent enough, and just recreation in some ways, but they're not. Uh, they're, they're a bridge into the Satanic and into, into uh, uh, something that will, will open us up to demonic oppression. We cannot be possessed by Satan if we're Christians, but we can certainly be attacked and harassed. And and so that's something we need to stay away from and and warn everybody else to stay away from. A good example of that kind of spiritual battle was Bob Bagley. Dr. Bob Bagley was a a missionary in Africa, small village in Africa. And they were so small, their church was so small that they met under a tree. It was a giant fruit tree, and it provided them with the shade that they could uh, use to meet in, in the heat uh, of um, the African uh, Sunday and have their services and worship and pray together. And of course, uh, it was competition for the local witch doctor. And so he, he attacked and he, in fact, put a curse on that tree. And uh, the tree withered, the leaves fell off it, and they'd lost their place to meet. Uh, but Bob knew that uh, it was much more than that, that uh, the church was overshadowed by that curse and it undermined the authority of their message. And the authority of the name of God. And uh, he knew their status in that village was in jeopardy if he didn't attack that directly. So he called for a, a public prayer meeting. And much like Elijah, who, ch- who challenged the prophets of Baal uh, to a prayer duel, Bob confronted the curse and he called down a, a blessing on that tree. He literally had his church members lay hands on that tree and, and he prayed that God would, would uh, confront that curse, would destroy the work of, of Satan, and, uh, and would revive that tree. And he knew that it was a very real risk because if God didn't answer his prayer, it, it, they would be in a much deeper hole as a church in that little village than they were now. But God, God responded. He said, God, you know, uh, it's not my name that's, that's at, at stake here. It's, it's your name that's at stake here. And please respond in power and restore our, our tree. Not only did God break the curse and, and restore that tree, so that uh, it had foliage again, and they could, they could meet under it and, and uh, meet in the shade of it. Uh, but he also made it so that tree, the only fruit-bearing tree of its type in the area, uh, that delivered fruit twice a year, not just once a year. Twice every season it, it bore fruit. So it was a, doub- it was a double blessing. And, and uh, God's name was lifted up in that village. People came to Christ. Uh, because, because God confronted Satan, because Bob was willing to pray boldly and confront Satan there, and that, uh, that tree was restored. God loves it when we pray with boldness and ask him to show his power for his purposes. Some of the greatest answers I've had uh, to prayer, folks, and some of you can attest to this as well, have been when I've been embarrassed to pray. And, and I've, I've been thinking, well, God, what if you don't deliver, you know? What if you don't do what, I, what I'm going to ask you to do? Uh, then I'll be embarrassed, you know. But you see, it's not my name on the line. What I always say is, Lord, it's your name. It's your name on the line. You respond. You do what you think is best in this situation to, to, to glorify your name. And, and he does. Well, God has given us spiritual weapons to destroy st- Satan's strongholds, and that's what Bob used in this case. Um... And Paul tells us about those in in 2 Corinthians 10. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we're we're not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Um, Strongholds are patterns of sin that we or others are engaged in, they can be addictions. Uh, dependencies of some kind. They can be uh, demonic influence like in this village. They can be uh, delusions that Satan has put on us. All are things that Satan uh, creates as obstacles in our, in our minds or elsewhere to obstruct people from the truth of the gospel. You see? Uh, he will try to put obstacles in your way uh, to, to prayer. He, and he puts obstacles in the way of those around us to, to coming to faith in Jesus Christ. He'll create delusions in their mind or lofty opinions raised up in, in their minds that keep them from the gospel. And those are the things that we destroy in prayer using those spiritual weapons. I met a man uh, recently, who, a young man, who said he was an atheist. I wasn't discouraged about that. He was very hard toward God and toward the things of the gospel and very angry and uh, I just sensed that the Holy Spirit was, uh, was drawing him, that God wanted him in the kingdom. And I began praying for him. And um, over time, he began to soften, our relationship began to, to grow. And we, uh, you know, God gave me a love for him. And one Thursday night, in the prayer meeting we have here Thursday night, we were praying for him by name, and I was praying that God would draw him to faith. And... Uh, that was Thursday night. Friday morning at 10 o'clock, I got a phone call. He said, you know, I, I would really like to meet with you. We really need to talk. We've been talking ever since. And, uh, I, and I said, you know, God's pursuing you. You know that, don't you? God's pursuing you. And he, he's going to draw you into the kingdom. You can give up now, or, or you can give up 10 years from now, but God will not let you go. And, and uh, the Holy Spirit will, will have you. And that's the way we need to pray Uh, pray for the destruction of those strongholds in people's lives, pray that God will draw them into the kingdom and and he will do that. That's the way we need to pray for our our prodigals too. Uh, Prodigals are, are in many cases, uh, those of you who are parents my age, some of you have uh, kids who have wandered away from the faith or who were never believers in the first place and who are far from the things of God. Some are way off in the weeds doing things that uh, are not pleasing to God. I I know the stories because I hear them all the time. But that's the way we need to pray for our prodigals that, that, uh, that um, Satan's strongholds in their lives, the work of Satan in their lives will be destroyed and that the Holy Spirit will open them up to the truth of the gospel and that God will draw them. And he is faithful to do that. He is faithful to do that. Here's a promise that you can pray back to God. Isaiah 49:25. For thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. That's God doing the rescuing there. For I will contend with those who contend with you and I will save your children. You see? And then praise God before the fact for what he's going to do. He says, I've got your back. If you will pray, I will draw your children. Church history, folks, if it's an encouragement to you, church history is full of prodigals who have uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ and God has used greatly for the kingdom. Um, St. Augustine, uh, the great father of the church, was a drunk and a womanizer. And uh, his mother, Monica, prayed for him for years, and finally he came to faith, became one of the, the, uh, the great saints of the, of the church, in the history of the church. Uh, George Mueller, who many looked to as a model of faith and prayer, great man of God. George Mueller was a drunk and a womanizer and a thief and a con man. He was thrown in jail before a friend and invited him to a Bible study and George Mueller uh, was drawn to faith, became became a powerful man of of God. You can read his biography. Uh, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, was a rebel. I'm sure he embarrassed his dad to no end, uh, but went way off the the track and and, uh, was far from God. He wrote a book about it. And and now uh, God drew him back. I'm sure the prayers of his parents were a, a powerful factor in that. God drew him back. He's a great man of God. He's the head of Samaritan's Purse and is doing a wonderful work for God all over the world. That should be an encouragement to you. Don't give up. Persist in prayer. Uh, God has your back, and God will draw them back in his timing. Powerful examples of of two churches who prayed others into the kingdom. Corporate prayer is especially powerful. Uh, In the the book, The Prayer-Saturated Church, Cheryl Sachs cites the church where Ten people gathered, ten intercessors gathered once a week for two hours to pray by name for a group of 60 people who were not yet believers in Jesus Christ. Those names had been generated from within the church. Four months into that prayer effort, 45 of the 60 had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And and many of those were what were called hard cases uh, by the individual Christians who had been praying for them for years. They were hard cases and 45 of the 60 came to Christ. They responded to prayer. And one more example of of the power of corporate prayer in the book uh, Dangerous Intersections. A couple guys named Jay Dennis and Jim Henry cite the example of a Phoenix church where the pastor randomly selected 160 names from the phone book. He split the list into two groups of 80. The first group of 80 names was prayed for daily for, for 90 days. The second group of 80 names was set aside and was not prayed for. After 90 days, all 160 people were called on the telephone and they were asked if they would allow Christians to visit their home and and to pray for them. Of the 80 people who were not prayed for, only one agreed to that visit. Of the 80 people who had been prayed for for 90 days, 69 of the 80 agreed to that visit there is no human way to account for that that is the power of god and, and the power of the holy spirit drawing people to himself well god also uses prayer to meet our needs and show us his favor and bring us to maturity in christ uh, andrew murray says god's giving is inseparably connected with our asking only by intercession can that power be brought down from heaven which will enable the church to conquer the world you see we can pray god's promises for our needs both physical and spiritual needs. Paul tells us in Philippians 4.19, my God will supply supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We need to be praying about everything. You know, sometimes we think it's just spiritual stuff. It's just about uh, church. It's just about our family or our, our life with God. It's about everything. God will honor requests about everything. When I was working in the secular world, I would often pray about difficult meetings that I had, And what I found without exception was that uh, God would go before me into that meeting and he would create an outcome that I could not have on a human level. God wants us to pray about everything. Did you know that in in Deuteronomy, he promises us, he says, I am the one who gives you the ability to create wealth. I am the one who gives you the ability to create wealth. God is concerned about our finances, our success in business, and and everything else that we experience in, in life. We can pray about that. And our spiritual maturity is part of that. Paul prayed for the Colossian Christians in uh, Colossians 1. And he prayed for their spiritual maturity. This is what he said. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Let me draw your attention to the fact that all these marks of spiritual authority come through prayer. We ask God for them and he gives them to us. Do you not have a desire to get into God's word? That's fine, I understand that. Ask God for that and he will give it to you. Do you, have a, do you find yourself without a desire to pray? Fine, ask God for that. He will give that to you. Somebody said to me the other day, you know, I, uh, Pastor, I, I just can't uh, memorize Scripture. I said, stop thinking about things on a human level. At, if you desire to, answer scripture, to, to uh, memorize Scripture, don't you think God desires the same thing for you? Ask Him for that, and He will give you that ability to memorize Scripture that you don't have on a human level. That, that's what God does. Well, there are some practical steps that we can take to improve our, our prayer lives. Uh, first of all, eliminate barriers to answered prayer, and, and one of those is simple prayerlessness. We, uh, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. It's as simple as that. God wants us to pray about everything in our lives: sickness, financial difficulty, broken relationships, prodigal kids. If you're like me, my knee-jerk response is to turn it into a do-it-yourself project, and and to say, well, these are the options. You know, this is the best one, and. This is how I'm going to implement that and action steps and, you know, pretty soon I'm, I'm doing God's job for him and not nearly as well. What God wants us to do is turn that over to him and he will go ahead of us and he, he will resolve those situations in our lives. Mark Batterson says the greatest tragedy in life is the prayers that go unanswered simply because they go unasked. Billy Graham said something similar. Heaven is full of answers to prayer for which no one bothered to ask. One of the saddest scenes that I can imagine is getting to heaven and realizing in a a flash, in a moment, all that God wanted to do in our lives but wasn't able to because we didn't pray. You see? All the answers he had for us wasn't able to give us because we didn't pray. We didn't ask. Let's not do a mulligan in that way. Let's let's engage God in, in prayer. Uh, second barrier is, uh, is ongoing patterns of sin. If we are involved in ongoing patterns of sin, I don't mean isolated sin, I mean ongoing patterns of sin, uh, God will not hear us. They disrupt our fellowship with God. They disrupt uh, our effectiveness in prayer. David knew that. He said, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear, Psalm 66:18. The solution is confession and, and repentance, turning away and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. First John 1.9 says to us, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How often do we do that? Is that a one-time thing? No, it's every day, isn't it? It's every day. We keep short accounts with God. And, and Lord, show me. David said, show me. If there's something in my life that displeases you, I'll confess that. I'll agree with you on it, and and we'll move on from there. You'll forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It's confession and repentance and turning away. A, A third barrier is, are we putting God first in our lives in every area of our lives? Jesus made it clear, he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Psalm 34 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You notice that one is the condition for the other. Are we putting God first in the area of our time, our money, our affections, our desires, our lifestyles? Are we putting God first in every area of our life? Unforgiveness. Joyce Meyer, another of my favorite books, is Simple Prayer by Joyce Meyer. She says, Unforgiveness is the number one reason that prayers are not answered. Uh, We're told in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate, to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ forgave you. If we're not acting in love toward each other, it will disrupt our ability to pray and and to receive answers. Doubt and worry is the fifth barrier. Sometimes we substitute doubt for faith and worry for prayer. We think we're praying when actually what we're doing is worrying in overtime mode about something. But we need to stop and pray. What God tells us is this. He says, I will trade you your worries for my peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in, everything by, in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You see, that, that don't be anxious, don't worry, that's a command. That, that's not just a suggestion. Finally, uh, guys, especially, Inconsiderate behavior toward our spouse can damage our ability to pray peter says in 1 peter 3 7 husbands in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner weaker in the sense of physically weaker and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers and folks this was revolutionary in the first century where women were, were treated as not much uh, better than property uh, Peter said, be considerate, be respectful, or God will not answer your prayers. Well, how do we learn to pray? Mostly, uh, it, it's simple talking to God. There's no special vocabulary, $64,000 theological words or secret formulas required. Martin Luther was asked by his barber, how do I pray? Martin Luther said, uh, here's a simple recipe. He, he used uh, that ACTS acronym that we're familiar with. He, he said, uh, The A stands for adoration or praise. Uh, Cover that base first. And and then he says, the C stands for confession, confessing our sins, keeping short accounts. The the T stands for thanksgiving, uh, thanking God for what he's provided for us, what what he's doing in our lives. And finally, supplication, or asking God what we need, for what we need from day to day. Uh, ACTS, that, that acronym, that's not in your notes. Henry Blackaby talks about learning how to pray. He says... This isn't something that you can start practicing automatically. It takes effort and time like any relationship. The more you spend time with him, the more you'll come to understand his ways, his heart, his will as you pray. There's no substitute for taking time to study the Bible and for allowing the Holy Spirit to teach you. Place his word in your heart and mind, then the Holy Spirit will use those scriptures as you pray to keep your life on track and consistent with God's nature. Most of us learn prayer by modeling, folks. Uh, get yourself in a group where other people are praying. Even if you just pray along silently, you can listen and learn from other people who have been praying longer or out loud more than you have. And God will teach you what you need to know in the company of those other folks who pray. I think it's important to schedule a daily time for prayer. This is part of a, a, part of a spiritual discipline. And we do that with exercise. We do it with meals. It's best to combine prayer with Bible reading, I find, uh, because... Uh, like George Mueller said, he said, uh, you know, first thing in the morning I'm a little foggy and it's hard for me to pray. But I find if I get into God's word, it, it, it enhances my prayer life. And, and suddenly the prayer begins to flow because I see what God has to say to me. God speaks to us. We speak to God as well in prayer. So I think it's important to have a daily time. That doesn't, that, doesn't, uh, that isn't to say that uh, spontaneous prayer as you're driving down the road is not important. God will bring people to your mind that you need to pray for. That's fine but it's the discipline of scheduling a time for prayer is important. And I like to combine it uh, with uh, keeping a prayer journal. Mark Batterson says this, journaling is one of the most overlooked and undervalued spiritual disciplines. In my estimation, it's on a par with praying, fasting, and meditating. It's the way we document what God's doing in our lives. Habakkuk 2.2, the Lord states, write down the revelation. Why? Because we have a natural tendency to remember what we should forget and forget what we should remember. Journaling is the best antidote, perhaps the only antidote to spiritual amnesia. I find it is a great uh, builder of my faith as well. When I, when I uh, sit down in the morning with the word of God and I sometimes I only spend 15, 20 minutes, look at a passage, God will highlight something for me in that passage. I'll, I'll scribble down that verse of scripture and then uh, what I think God is telling me and then an asterisk. And I'll put a prayer request, God, make me more like this, or God, thank you for that, whatever it is. And, and then I'll keep my, my prayers in here as well. When I pray with other folks, I'll keep a journal of my prayers in here. What I find is that when that prayer is answered, it strengthens my faith. But I, otherwise, you know, if you're like me, two weeks ago, who remembers that, right? And what Henry Blackaby says is that th- there's this principle of spiritual concentration, that we ask, we ask for something in prayer But then God provides the answer two weeks down the road. We don't remember that we asked, so we forget to thank him for it. Our faith isn't strengthened, and and everybody loses all the way around. So so this helps in in tracking your prayers and strengthening your faith. Spend regular time in and and pray back the word of God. I think think all of you have in your bulletins probably uh, this little card, personal prayers from Colossians. It's a little tool that I. Does anybody not have one of those that got a bulletin and didn't didn't have one in it? Okay, if if you don't have one, uh, there there may be more bulletins out there, or um, we'll get some more of these. I only had 200, Um, but what it is is a great little primer on how to pray back the Word of God from Colossians. And uh, for example, uh, Colossians 1:3. Lord, help me to remember to give thanks to you, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in all things, and to maintain an attitude of prayer. It's a way of praying back scripture to God. The other resource that is out there in the lobby, if you care to pick it up, is about the power of praying scripture. It's this little booklet. It's available for a buck on the back table there. Both powerful resources in helping engage you in prayer and the word of God. Finally, pray with others. And uh, there is a power in corporate prayer that is unlike any other. Jesus said, If two of you agree on earth about anything, uh, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Jim Simbla tells a story about his prodigal daughter who was uh, drug dependent and far from God. Uh, Jim Simbla is the pastor of uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York. And uh, of course, he and his wife were agonized over that and prayed for her for, I, I believe it was two years. That she was gone. In some cases, they didn't even know where she was. They didn't even know if she was alive. And uh, he and his wife had been praying about that, but without result. One night, a woman in the church spontaneously said at one of their prayer meetings, Jim, I, I think that uh, we need to pray for your daughter tonight. And he agreed. And, and so the whole church joined together in prayer for this prodigal daughter. Wouldn't you know, the next morning, she showed up on the doorstep, repentant and broken. And right now, she's the wife of a pastor in Iowa and serving God, and, uh, and, and one of God's children. Uh, but that is the power of corporate prayer, and that is the power we can generate together if we will pray together. There are a number of op- opportunities like that already that, that you are aware of. There's a prayer at newholepazlet.com. If you're not part of that prayer group, uh, get on that. It's on the back of your bulletin. And we can, uh, we can lift each other up in prayer. There, there are a whole list of answers to prayer here in this church that, I could provide you with, uh, but we don't have time for that. But it's been wonderful to see uh, marriages restored, prodigal kids come back, uh, sicknesses and illnesses um, healed, um, jobs provided for, uh, financial brokenness restored, uh, all kinds of things like that that uh, God attends to in ways that we could not. So I want to encourage you to, to engage in that way in, uh, in prayer with your Heavenly Father, and he will respond. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer, and I'm going to pray for you the prayer, that, the prayer that, uh, that Paul prayed for the Colossian believers. Father, we thank you for this time together. And I thank you for uh, these folks and for their desire to know you and to walk with you more deeply. I pray that you'll in- impress your word on our hearts, and as your disciples asked you uh, that, uh, that we would ask you as well, teach us to pray, Lord. And, and Lord, as, as Paul prayed for the Colossian Christians, we would uh, ask you to fill us with the knowledge of your will through, through all the wisdom and understanding that, that your Holy Spirit gives us so that we could live a life that is worthy of the Lord and that we would please you in every way, that we would bear fruit in every good work, that we would grow in the knowledge of God, that we would be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that we would have great endurance and patience in the faith. And we ask all this, Lord, in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sorry I kept you. Thanks for the time this morning.